Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the Modern Homesteading Podcast. We have allowed ourselves to become so disconnected and ignorant about something that is as intimate as the food that we eat. Be prepared to grow your own for victory. I'm said I need somebody strong enough to clear trees and heave bales, yet gentle enough to yean lambs and wean pigs and tend the pink foamed pullets who will stop his mower for an hour to splint the broken leg of a meadow lark. So God made a farmer. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Modern Homesteading Podcast. I'm your host, Harold Cornbrow. Glad you're joining us again today. I think we've got a really good one for you today. I'm going to be joined by Troy McClung from RedToolHouse.com, and he's going to tell us a bit about his homestead, all the things he's got going on. But before we get into that, let's uh, just talk about a couple other things first. Man, it's going to sound like I'm doing a commercial or something here, but I promise you I'm not getting paid by these people. I'm not getting anything from them. But I'm going to tell you what, when I get good service and a good product, I like to share about it and talk a little bit about it. Um, Duluth Trading Company uh, bought a few pairs of their pants a few years ago. Actually, my wife got me some for Christmas like three years ago or something like that. And uh, I'll tell you what, they've been the best pants I've ever had as far as just the way they hold up. You know, usually I wear blue jeans out like crazy. And, uh, I just wanted to tell you, these things have held up amazingly. Well, recently, a couple of the pair the uh, where the zipper attaches to the, or the tab attaches to the zipper area, that, that actually popped off. And, um, you know, my wife was just going to call the company and see if there was anything we could, you know, maybe order a zipper and resew a zipper in or whatever. And uh, they said, oh, no, we'll just send you two new pair and uh, just send those back when you get them. And I got to tell you, that's amazing because these pants, yeah, they cost a little bit more than a pair of blue jeans. But it's the fire hose material, and they hold up really well. I, I mean, I wear them. I wear a pair of them every week. You know, I mean, uh, there ain't a week that goes by that each pair of my uh, those pants don't get worn, and for for years now. And there's virtually, I mean, there's some fade in the color, but the uh, the material's holding up excellent. I just got to tell you, it's a, it's just a, a superior product. And also, I can say, superior customer service as well. So, man, if you need some good clothes for your homestead, uh, we're working on your homestead, go to Duluth Trading Company. I'm going to tell you, you're not going to regret it. That is a one great company. And uh, if you do, let them know you heard about it here. I, like I said, I'm not doing a commercial for them. I just appreciate good products and good service. And I want to tell you about that because uh, I've just been blown away by that. I really have. And uh, they have a customer for life in me, that's for sure. And uh, anyway, that's that's about all I'll say about that. Uh, as far as the homestead goes around here, still doing a little bit of harvesting. I actually went out uh, yesterday and uh, put some more uh, beds to sleep for the winter, just cleaned them out, put them down. Uh, still got some tomatoes growing, some peppers growing, and, of course, the leafy greens. But I'm just starting to get rid of things one thing at a time and uh, call, it a, call it a year, call it a season, and put those things uh, to bed. Um, 
have been doing a little bit of cleanup, uh, getting things ready. Uh, been uh, starting to chop my comfrey plants down. I've I planted uh, some uh, comfrey this year early in the spring. and Man, that stuff just blows up. And if you don't know about comfrey, it's a really good plant uh, for making fertilizer out of. And, and uh, it's a good medicinal plant as well. But I won't get into all that. But as far as the garden goes, it's a great fertilizer. And uh, I'll tell you, I'll just tear off the leaves and just lay them around things like trees and, and, and around my plants and things. And, and they, they're they a, a dynamic accumulator. They pull the nutrients up from down deep in the earth because they have a real deep taproot. And I love to just lay those uh, leaves just all through my gardens. Well, I've chopped a majority of those down. They come back every year. They'll come back several times a year, two, three times a year at least. And uh, you can chop them off almost to ground level and they'll just keep coming back. And... Um, they really took off. I mean, they for planting those this spring, I ordered them online, and I they just done real well. Uh, I'll put a link in the show notes to where I got those from because uh, they've just been an amazing plant to have here on the homestead and the uh, for the fertilizer aspects of it. And I have dabbled a little bit with the uh, medicinal aspects of it as well. So I advise you to get some comfrey on your homestead. And I've been, like I said, laying those around my beds as I'm. Uh, shutting them down for the winter i'm giving them a good layer of that uh, uh comfrey mulch as well so i think that's really going to help fertilize those beds and get them ready for next year well that's you know uh haven't been able to get into the uh tree stand as much as i like uh, but uh still hopeful uh maybe i can get out there this weekend yet and maybe a time or two through the week the weather's turning uh, perfect for it around here we're starting to get you know highs in the 50s on some days and, and and stuff so that's some great deer hunting weather so i'm really itching to get back in the tree stand and uh, hopefully get a get a shot at a deer this year hey with all that let's uh let's just head on over to our conversation with troy and hear about all the great things he's doing on his homestead Today I'm joined by Troy McClung, uh, who uh, homesteads in southern West Virginia, and he shares a little bit about his journey at redtoolhouse.com. Uh, Troy, uh, welcome to the Modern Homesteading Podcast. Hey, Harold. I appreciate it. Appreciate you having me on. Could you just take a couple minutes and uh, tell us a little bit about you and how you got into homesteading and kind of how you ended up where you are? Yeah, it's, it's kind of a kind of an interesting thing. I, I, would, I would say we fell into it, but we really kind of, kind of fumbled around uh, before we really got into homesteading. We... Uh, my wife and I, and I won't, I won't go all the way back to it. You know, I was born in a dark and stormy night kind of thing, but uh, it, it kind of started. Uh, my wife and I are originally from West Virginia. We moved to Florida after college, and, and we really got uh, the desire to move back home. I uh, really like West Virginia, uh, just a beautiful area. And so we kind of decided if we're going to move home, well, let's, we wanted to kind of live out rural. We didn't want to live uh, downtown. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we spent about a year looking for property. And uh, found 100 acres, about uh, 30-minute commute drive from our, our Charleston, West Virginia, which is our capital, where we uh, where we were working at the time. And we found this 100 acres, and it was absolutely trashed. Just I mean, literally had been had been um, uh, abandoned basically for about 20 years. And, and some of the the local neighbors and the kids had kind of used it as a party place and a dump and those type of things. Mm-hmm. It was just it had been a thriving. Uh, uh, understanding from my neighbors tell me it, it had sweet potatoes. Uh, they, they farmed a lot of sweet potatoes on it back in the 60s. It had a lot of cleared land. Uh, uh, 50% of it was all pasture land or arable land. And and then you fast forward to 2000, and it's almost completely wooded in and grown over and, again, covered in garbage. So long story short, we, we bought this piece of property and really didn't know what we are getting into. And 
Uh, one, one funny element, uh, before we even closed on the property, we, uh, we got in there and I was able to use my company's box truck. We hauled 220 tires off the property that wow. you know, people had just been dumping tires and that type of stuff. So we spent, we spent two years cleaning it up and uh, taking out those semi-sized dumps, those big rollback dumpsters. We uh-huh. took two or, two or three of those out. So, um, so that was in 2000. So we had this property. We built a new house. The old farmhouse was gutted, so we tore it down. Uh, we built a little, um, I call it a garage apartment. It was literally a garage. It was a 24 by 32 garage. I lived in that for two years as we built our main house. And uh, then I turned that into my wood shop and then built, ended up building the barn on the end of it. But, um, yeah, been on there It's uh, since 2000, so 16 years. And about 60 years ago, we really got this desire to you know, really look and see where our food's coming from and, and and uh, similar story to a lot of people, you know, you mm-hmm. started watching documentaries. Jill Salatin, of course, was kind of the, the godfather of all this stuff. Right. So we started watching some of that and it's like, you know, that, that makes a lot of sense. You know, you just see cancer rates going up. So those little things, you know, just, just kind of just ping in the back of your mind. It's like, let me look into this. So we did, you know, we used the, the gateway farm animal like uh, most traumatics uh, do. We, we got chickens. Mm-hmm. And um, so we started with, um, I think we had maybe 12 chickens started there. And then, you know, just... Just, just grew, just grew, uh, grew from there. We've been, uh, uh, we now have um, about a hundred chickens, uh, egg layers. Uh, we do meat chickens for ourselves, and probably next year we'll actually raise meat chickens for resale. Mm-hmm. And then we've been raising hogs for about uh, four years. We we do pastured hogs, and um, we've really been able to turn that into a a profit center for the homestead. And that's the one thing that I, that I really wanted to get into this. Not only do I want to be able to take care of myself, take care of my own food, and, and really kind of cut out a lot of the, the store purchases that we make as far as food goes, uh, but I, I really want this to be profitable. You know, it, it's one of those things where if you do something well, and, and we learned by a lot of mistakes, but if you do something well, then it's what we call in the vertical market industry. You know, obviously, you just, just keep going. With mm-hmm. we, you know, if we're going to raise two hogs, let's raise 20 hogs. If we're going to raise 20 hogs, let's raise 30 hogs. Sure. And you know, in theory, that sounds good. And obviously, we, we ran into some other issues along the way. But um, but we, we found out that a lot of our friends, they wanted the same thing. Hey, you know, we, we live in town. We'd like to know where our meat comes from. Um, and, and so it's just grown from that. So past four years, the, um, you know, the, the chickens, the egg business has kind of been a way to introduce customers to our, our pork sales and the pork sales are where the, where the income comes in. Eggs are kind of a break even, maybe mostly by the time you put in all the accommodations and, mm-hmm. and all the things that we've had to build for predator control. So sure. that's kind of us in a nutshell. So yeah, I've been on the property for 16 years, but only in the past six years, I've really started utilizing it. And, um, so we're, we kind of joke. I always say, um, uh, kind of mention on my, on my blog, on our website, but I feel like we're frontiersmen sometimes because we, we've got a hundred acres in West Virginia. If you've ever been in West Virginia, you know, the topography of it, it's, uh, we're in the foothills of the Appalachian mountains. We don't have okay. super tall mountains, but we have, if, if you ever get bored, bring up Google maps and just Google, uh, Yawkey, West Virginia or uh, Charleston, West Virginia, if you switch it to satellite mode and you can see the satellite pictures, it looks like somebody took a blanket and just wrinkled it up. Yeah. And yeah, there's there's not there's no real tall mountain, there's no real wide valley. It's just a big wrinkled nest, and and yeah, it looks like a, yeah, the craziest maze puzzle you'd ever have. And that's that's kind of our place. And and, and I joke that you know, I've got a hundred acres, but I don't have anywhere where I can turn my truck around with a trailer because uh, it's just you know it's just so uneven ground. So yeah. we we have to pick we have to pick you know, out of a hundred acres how much do you really have usable? We've got a lot of timber. 
so as we clear that, we, we joke that we're frontiersmen. We're on the front half of the, or on the front portion of that 100 acres, and all my, my farm is a watershed. So if, if water, if it rains and it rains in, and drains into my uh, my stream in the middle of the property, then that's that's pretty much my property. So that's, mm-hmm. that's how I always tell my boys when they're out hiking. You know, if it rains and it runs into our valley, you're still in our property. If you if you go over the ridge, then you're off our property. But um, so yeah, we we joke we're frontiersmen. We're we're trying to clear and, and head up this valley, which is actually western. So we're we're moving in a westwardly direction. And I said, I joke with my, my boys, the only thing we're missing are um, Indian attacks. Because uh, everything else <laughs> seems like we're, we're on the frontier push, pushing west. Yeah, Careful what you wish for now. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah, you never uh, know. Yeah. Now, I, so it's mostly wooded areas, what you have. I mean, you say it's rolling hills and stuff, but is it mostly woods or is it you got quite a bit of pasture? Or? Yeah, yeah. what we have, um, you know, again, back in the 60s, they had um, – a lot of sweet potato production on it, but uh, West Virginia, we, we call them benches. You know, you have, you have these, you know, some people may call them mountains. If you know, eastern part of our state mm-hmm. or in the Rocky Mountains, they laugh at you to call them mountains. But um, we have an elevation change in our property of probably 250 to 350 feet. So, so my lowest spot you know, could be 200 feet, 300 feet in elevation lower than, than the top of my, my ridge. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's not just a, a gradual slope, I mean, like a 30-degree slope that goes up to the top. You have these, these flat benches or, or, or terraces, um, but they're just they're natural. They're not, they're not man-made. Mm-hmm. And ours were exemplified when they got in there and, and, and farmed sweet potatoes because they wouldn't come in and flatten some of it off. And, and so they made them a little bit flatter. Um, so you kind of just work from bench to bench, and then of course down in the in the main valley where the where the actual creek is, then you have some uh, some sediment areas and some fill. So there's some flat areas. So out of the out of the hundred acres, we literally probably have, if I had to guess, seven acres. That's that what I would actually call pasture, where you actually get grass to grow. Okay. Um, and we have our pigs on five acres of pasture, and it's pasture slash woodlot. My goal is to have that entire five acres cleared in the next couple of years, uh, you know, except for a couple of shade trees and that type of thing. Cause it's, it's, it's really starting to grow good grass as we keep the canopy open and clear that out. Then, then we're starting to see grass take off. And of course the pigs like it, but they also like the woodlot. So we leave behind white oaks. We leave behind the hickory and the, and the walnuts. Cause man, you talk about fattening a pig up when they can get in there and forage for you know, all those acorns and things that really, it's really good. Like right now they're, they, they they look like me after the buffet, rolling around rubbing their bellies because they've eaten way too much. But so yeah, we have, a lot of it's a lot of it's still under under forest and the you know, Appalachian hardwood. It's it's mm-hmm. you know, gorgeous stuff, and that's what we discovered too. As we clear, you know, we don't want to just cut this stuff up and burn it. So um, uh, my brother, his his farm was close by, and he has a sawmill. So we'll uh, we'll cut down poplar and pine, and I'll take it over and mill it, and that becomes barnwood. So we're we're turning that into the barn, and then if it's you know, oak or maple, then we mill it and put it in a kiln that he has at his farm, and then I bring it back, and, and I do make furniture on the side and those type of things, so it becomes uh, woodworking wood, so it's higher quality type stuff. So we try not to waste. You know, we, we do burn wood for heat, so we try not to waste too much, sure. uh, just some of the scrub stuff. And uh, so that it's between the pigs and, and me with a chainsaw, we, uh, we're, we're slowly clearing <laughs> land. So at some point, some point we'll get that seven acres to maybe 15 acres before I die. We'll see. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You got, you got plenty of room to work with. That's for sure. hundred, hundred acres. So, yeah. Uh, so you was saying earlier, you're wanting to take your uh, uh, chicken production and make it a little bit bigger. Uh, at, what are you thinking? Like a Joel Salatin model of like uh, tractor raising them or. 
You know what's what's funny, and and, and Joel Salatin, you, you, I know a lot of us we look at that and we think, man, that is that is a way to do it, and we want to model that. And mm-hmm. we've discovered there's a lot of things that we can do. You know, Salatin's his 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 place is only like a four hour drive from us, but oh, yeah. the, the landscape is totally different. Sure. And what's neat what's neat about um, what uh, what he does? There's a lot of you know, man, I really want to do that. That's a great model. I want to follow that. But we discovered that we can do some others. We can't like our 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 egg production for our chickens mm-hmm. we started free ranging and of course you know with here we have coyote we have fox we have raccoons nine raccoons yeah more raccoons than you can imagine so just just getting nailed so oh, yeah. it's like okay well, i can't do free range and i can't do um the egg wagon yeah that's the thing i really liked about south and he's got mm-hmm. those big wagons uh ring gears that he, he pulls behind his tractor and he goes to these different pastures well you know there's some other than my driveway. Most of my roads are you know, 45 degree angles, and and you know, if I had a an eggmobile full of chickens, they'd all be you know, thrown about. And <laughs> you, just, you just couldn't drive them around very sure. easily. Sure, yeah. So so what we did, we knew okay, we can't just have them cooped up. We we wanted to do something in between there. So I I took one of our coveted uh, what I call a, a pasture or meadow. Again, it, it's not that not that big. It's mm-hmm. 10,000 square feet total, and I built our coop in the dead center of it. And then I, I fenced off, uh, it's like a little chicken concentration camp. I fenced off uh, two 5,000-square-foot pastures and put six-foot fence up around them. And then the pop doors on the coop, um, you can open one pop door, and, of course, that gives the chickens access to the left pasture, mm-hmm. or pasture A, as we call it. And then, then once they you know, graze that pretty good and, and uh, uh, maybe starting to wear it out a little bit, then I close that door at night while they're roosting then open to let them into pasture B. So it allows me to rotate. And, and with 100 chickens, I'm getting uh, in, in the peak of the, the you know, summer season where everything's growing, I'm getting a good two, two and a half weeks, maybe even three weeks uh, of them going into grazing. You know, they're eating the, mm. eating the clover, eating all that good stuff. Uh, they eat it down, and then I can rotate it out. And sure. yeah. so, so that's worked really well. So I, you know, I, I still say we have pastured poultry, uh, but it's not free range. And then right. for some people look at you funny. Well, it's not free range. I really don't want it. But then, then we have that discussion. But yeah, but yeah that's for our egg production and the meat production. Um, what we've done for ourselves is is doing you know, the the chicken tractors or the, or the drag pens, mm-hmm. and those have worked really well. And you know, doing the Cornish rock, and then. Uh, sometimes we'll we'll incubate our own chickens. So of course, you know, you get about fifty or sixty percent of those will be roosters. So we've even raised those uh, uh, to butcher. So different breeds, uh, but you know, the Cornish Rock definitely obviously puts on the weight better. But yeah, so yeah, we, we we tried to pick that up a little bit more and and expand that. And then we've had such uh, such demand that we're going to try uh, we'll try in the spring to to do more of a run and and actually start to resell some of those as well. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. It, looks, it seems like that would be a good business uh, to get into. I mean, there, it's, I don't know what it is, uh, but you probably noticed it too. I mean, there's just a, especially when it comes to chickens, there's this uh, thing going on, this movement almost where people really want, you know, some good, healthy uh, chickens. And I think it's more, it might even be the affordability thing. You know, it's like some people can't really um, afford to buy a whole hog or, you know, a cow raised in a certain kind of way, but a chicken they can, you know? So right. um, yeah. even, even though it's, it's still more than what the store would charge. I mean, they understand that, that there's a health issue uh, and a crisis, really, in this world, and and um, they're looking for a, a, a better, healthier meat. Yeah, I think it's starting to click with people. I think you're dead on that um, some people get it and some people don't. You know, mm-hmm. I have conversation with some people. Uh, it, it's kind of funny. We even have family. I have a, a sister-in-law that 
you know, she won't eat her eggs and you know, she knows everything about it. And she's like, I don't want to know where it comes from. I just don't want to know where it comes from. It's kind yeah. of, I'll just go to the store and buy like eggs. that. I do. Yeah. Yeah. And, and of course it just, she just cringes, you know, they come over for Christmas and, and we're having a ham and, and about halfway through it, she's like, this was one of your pigs. What? And I was like, well, yeah, I'm not going to go out and buy one when I've got you know, 20 right. running around. So, <laughs> so yeah. So she's like, Oh yeah, I wish you hadn't told me that. But, but yeah. And again, she understands she, she's, she deliberately wants to stick her head in the sand when it comes to knowing mm-hmm. where food comes from. But but a lot of people, I think, are realizing, hey, you know, uh, we see this stuff going on in the government about, you know, do you have to label point of origin, origin on this food? Do you know, we're seeing you know, you know, Chinese chicken coming in. So mm-hmm. I think people are starting to stop and think, well, wait a minute. And, of course, you're know, just supporting local businesses and, and sorting, uh, supporting friends. Mm-hmm. Um, we've we've raised awareness of our farm. Uh, one 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 benefit I have, if it is, and and, and this, I hope this doesn't sound braggadocious, but we my my day job I, I don't do homesteading as a full time job. My day job I own a small marketing company. Mm-hmm. So the experience I've had over the past sixteen years of of doing marketing work um, translates to our homestead. So uh, just just going out and and again promising people and delivering and um, just having a clean brand, making sure people know that that's kind of why we started the YouTube channel. We wanted our sure. customers. And people are interested to say, hey, you say you do this, but prove it. So we do videos to show so people can see. People can come out to the farm. We we invite people out all the time. You know, some people want to bring their kids out so they can play with chicks or baby mm-hmm. pigs when, when it's that time of year. Uh, but people get to see, okay, is, is this place trashed? Is this place, uh, is Troy trying to clean it up? Yeah, it looks like he is. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah, we'll trust his food. So, yeah, it's those type of things, and that's what we really appreciate, and that's that's just, just getting the word out. And, and yeah, I think the, the general audience is starting to realize, hey, you know, we need to know where this comes from. Just because it's you know $1.68 a pound chicken at Sam's or Costco or whatever, you know, maybe that's not the best thing for my family right, right now. Right, absolutely. Yeah, I agree. Well, I watched a couple of your videos uh, on, on your hogs, and, and you did a pretty good job on those. Uh, how many hogs are you uh, raising right now? Well, right now we've got four sows, and they're okay. my breeders, and I'm rotating those four sows. So uh, earlier this summer, two of them farrowed, and it's kind of a kind of a, not a funny story, but kind of a not funny haha, but kind of a funny story because of just timing. Mm-hmm. I had two sows farrow, and between the two of them, they had 18 in one litter and 15 in another. Mm-hmm. So I had I had 33 piglets at the ground, which I've never had a litter that big. Yeah, that's a uh, lot. From one sow, yeah, much less two sows at the same time. But and I should have known. It's one of those things, you know, a little voice in your head. You say, "Hey, Troy, you, you need to watch out for this." But no, I didn't. Uh, we usually take our we try to take our vacation early in the year, so we go down to where we used to live in Florida. And we, we so we had the kids down there and, and down on the beach and kind of hanging out. And uh, my farrowing date I had in my calendar was three days after we got back from vacation. And and, and that little voice would say, "Man, you're pushing your luck. You're pushing mm-hmm. your luck." And uh, fortunately, I had an, I have a neighbor that's I have several neighbors that are really good. They're good farm guys, and and, and they didn't mind coming over and. So I'm I'm sitting there. I never forget. I had my toes in the sand there, and I get a text message and look down, and it's my neighbor saying, "Hey, man, both of them farrowed last night, and you've got piglets everywhere." <laughs> so the problem was I didn't have them. I try to bring them into my tighter pasture near my my barn, so I didn't have them there. So they farrowed out of the pasture, and one of them farrowed against a huge pine tree. It was just her choice where she built her nest. Mm-hmm. And yeah, before I could get home, she had. Uh, over the course of 36 hours, she had moved around and, and, and crushed some of them, oh. and same with the other one. So, so out of those 33, we only had 22 that were viable. So, so that's one of those shame on me, you know, shame on the farmer for that situation because I didn't, 
I pushed my luck. I didn't get home. I didn't I didn't exercise the proper animal husbandry skills there to be home and, and, and get them in the right spot. But oh, yeah. so now we yeah, you know, we have so now right now at you know, here it is October, we've got um we've got twenty six pigs total. So we've got our four sows and we've got uh twenty two um piglets running around and, and they're putting on weight well. They're they're probably around sixty, seventy pounds uh now and, and we're looking uh, to be on schedule to take them to the uh processor in January. And we sell the majority of our hogs. I will sell them as whole or halves. So I will uh, consult with my, you know, like like right now, we just kicked off our deposit days. Uh, so we're we're taking deposits. So if people put $150 down deposit, then we're going to hold a whole or half hog for them. And then as we get on in the, the closer to the processing date, I send out one of our uh, cut sheets. Mm-hmm. So it's a sheet that, that gives a breakdown, kind of like a multiple choice, a uh, little test they fill out, say, okay, how do you want your pork chops, how do you want your bacon, all that type of thing. And, of course, explain it if they have any questions. So that's their list of how they want their hog processed. And then I take that with me when I go to the processor, and, of course, they, they process to those specifications. Mm-hmm. And we do probably 70% of our hogs that way. But I went ahead and got... Um, uh, worked with my processor and got my uh, a private label. So I'll take, um, like last year, I we processed 25, and I took seven of those 25 and uh, went ahead and processed those for myself, but had them repackaged commercially, which means i got to go through a bunch of other regulations and inspections and those type of things. And that was our first time doing that. It was it was kind of a weird mm. – there's some good good times and bad things that came out of that. But, but we processed those, and I bring them back, and, and I keep – I have – one, two, three, five freezers uh, in my in my house uh, in the garage that I keep all that meat in. I have one that's huge, like an eight foot, you know, about the size of mm-hmm. the Titanic. But um, <laughs> so we we put all that meat in there, and of course it's commercially packaged. It meets all of our state regs, so I can sell to to people. So uh, for example, a lady contacted me today. She wants twenty packs of pork chops. So okay, yeah, I'll sell you twenty packs of pork chops, and we'll meet somewhere and we'll transact. So those type of things, obviously, at that opportunity, I'm selling retail to end users. So that's where it really becomes profitable. And I encourage anyone out there, if they're raising, if they're raising four hogs or five hogs, if you can always sell retail, then you're always going to you know, get a better return on your investment than, than finding a restaurant or finding a wholesale that's going to say, hey, I want that for $2 a pound or $3 a pound. When, when our market in this area, I can bear... You know, I can sell my bacon now for eight dollars a pound wow. because that people just know. Yeah, and it's it's just a good quality. This year we sold it for seven fifty, but we, mm-hmm. we've already talked in two thousand seventeen we're going to eight. And you know, pork chops, you know, six to seven dollars a pack, and and uh, you you find stuff that sells, stuff that doesn't, but um, but it, it really was 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 more profitable for us to do those cuts. It's just a matter of storage, and of course, a matter of moving inventory. You know, we're we're doing uh, discounts now because we're at that point where I, I don't want to be. Yeah, I don't want January rolling along, and I still have a couple freezers full of, of pork that I need to move. Sure. So, yeah. so we're we're winding down on there. We've almost got all that sold, and and we'll be ready in January to to bring on our next load. Oh, well. sound like you got a pretty good system going on there. I mean, you ever ex- expect to expand on that a little bit, or are you just going to kind of hang where you are for a while? Or well, well, what we're doing this year for the first time, um, I've had four breeding sows, and I I kept. I kept two, breed them, and then wait a whole year and breed another two. And I thought, you know, I'm really kind of there's really no reason to have four, but I always wanted to have a backup because I was afraid of you know, if something happened to one, and then you take forever to get one ready again. Right. So what we're doing this year is is and it all comes down to um, resourcefulness and, and management, which I'm terrible. I, I can't, <laughs> terrible manager. It's a shame to admit when I'm in marketing company, but um, I, I we we bred, uh, you know, we fared in 
June, first of June this year. And then this next month, I'm going to breed my other two. So November, in fact, I was just figuring out the heat schedules today. Mm-hmm. Um, that's kind of funny. If you, if, I don't know if you watched the insemination video, but that was a yeah, comedy, of errors. <laughs> comedy of errors there. And that's how I learned over the past three years, just just what to look for. And, and, and since we do AI, I don't have to worry about a boar on, on the farm, right. another mouth feed and the, and the dangers that come along with having a boar. Mm-hmm. But I also have to be diligent in saying, okay, the, you know, this pig's going into heat. I got to get him to stand. Obviously I got to get him dosed. I got to get up in the middle of the night and dose, you know, make sure I'm getting the proper dose of him. But we're going to, we're going to breed the other two in November, which should, should give us, if I'm doing my math right, that should give me a, you know, a, a March, April farrowing date. And then we're going to breed the other two in May. So that'll give me a, um, uh, yeah, what, four, four months roughly after that. So I'm trying to have two litters. Now that I've got mm-hmm. some infrastructure on the farm, I, I now have two litters. I want to have two litters that I can rotate. So as I've, I've got uh, hogs that are, that are you know, growing up, they're going to be a, a month or two away from the, uh, from going to the processor, then hopefully my other two sows are farrowing. So as, as, as some are leaving, I got some coming on. Okay. And you know the that'll be the first test, and again, it all comes back to volume. If I can't uh, if I can't sell all this pork, and I discover that you know, come come 2018, I've got uh, five freezers packed to the gills with pork and nothing else to do, then, then obviously I'll know to cut back. But uh, but there's even wholesale options. Yeah, you, you want to stay away from that if, if you can. But mm-hmm. if I have to, then I can I can look at maybe wholesale on some of it. Sure. But but yeah, that's the plan. So that'll be our expansion. I I've, I've discovered that five acres of pasture. If I have you know, 30 or less grazing hogs, that five acres of pasture works out okay. If I have more than that, then I've, I've got to expand. And, and, and that's the operation is definitely lynched to the uh, kind of kind of linchpin to the amount of land I clear. So as I as I go west, uh, then I can maybe increase my my hog operation. We've yeah. looked at other things. Um, my wife, uh, it's funny. Homestead wives kind of think it's romantic to have a milk cow. And so she's like, my wife's like, yeah, let's get a milk cow. And I'm like, yeah, that would be kind of cool. And then, then our, our friends of ours who have a farm about an hour away, we, they've, they've had a milk cow and, and we spent some time with them and we're like, you know, it, it's kind of like a swimming pool or a bass boat. It's best to know friends that have a milk cow and be able to, to use it versus have it yourself and have to maintain it. So yeah, yeah. that that's kind of where we are right now. Man. I know some people obviously are, are doing that and it's great, but it's sure. uh, it definitely it definitely technology. ties you to the homestead a little bit more. Uh, there is a milking schedule it has to be stuck to. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you're doing a lot of stuff with livestock there. How about gardening? I mean, you got some gardening going on. You do market gardening or just garden for yourselves or your own family or what? You know, and, and I'll uh, I'll be the first to admit that, that I usually kill any and everything I plant in the ground. Um, <laughs> and we've we've little over time. In fact, listening to your podcast has inspired me more to to get into to focus more on the gardening. And and this year we did uh, square bell gardening. We tried that for okay. the first time. And was really happy with the results of that. Uh, you're using the straw bales. And, you know, the kind of the downside was the prep, and of course, then the cost of square bales. Around here, mm-hmm. you know, straw is five fifty a, a bale. So by the time we you know, we had seventy dollars tied up in a little ten ten bale garden, that uh, would just be a, enough for for our family of four. Yeah. But I was really happy with how that worked out. And then we we put a, a drip irrigation system in it. Uh, using some IBC totes, we did some gravity feed stuff. So I was really happy with that. I thought, okay, this this model needs to be scalable. So do you invest more in the in the uh, straw bales, or do you just you know kind of come back to more of a traditional, maybe raised bed, mm-hmm. uh, those type of things? But one thing we're going to try this year, this this winter, 
if we can, if we don't run out of time, is um, is build a. Uh, I want to build a hoop house or you know greenhouse, whatever. Basically, sure. just a, you know, the the PVC hoop house. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, thinking about trying to winter my chickens in those. I've seen people use a deep litter method and mm-hmm. and can bring bring a lot of mulch. And, and that's one thing about being in, in West Virginia. My goodness, there's hardwood mulch. You you, you can't drive twenty. 20 miles without finding five mulch places because everybody's you know, timbering. Yeah. So uh, fill that full of mulch and let my chickens overwinter in that. And then in the spring, as I bring them out and put them back on the, the, the pastures, um, be able to utilize that and, and, and try to do uh, do some uh, gardening inside that uh, hoop yeah. house and try to get things started early. Yeah, if you're thinking about doing a, a PVC, and I would probably lean towards the uh, hog panel design. I don't know if you've ever seen, or the uh, cattle panel design. I don't know if you've ever seen that or not. They take the 16 foot cattle panels and just kind of arch those and then stretch your plastic over that. That, that seems oh, yeah. to be a little more durable. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. We we've just been, and as, as most people do, we've just been. Yeah. You know, I'll, I'll get on YouTube and I'll I'll just try to digest as much as I can on YouTube mm-hmm. and yeah. see the uh, PVC. Uh, yeah, we looked at the PVC and we looked at the, the metal conduit, and then yeah, there's man, there's some that are really nice and ornate. And I, you know, I need to learn how to need to learn how to grow something before I invest a couple thousand dollars in <laughs> in a house to put it in. Because yeah, if I'm just gonna grow weed, that, that's yeah. Big yeah. <laughs> and where you're at, you know, the uh, the winters aren't uh, quite as severe as you know. If you go up north, it's almost a requirement. You have to you have to have you know, a hoop house or greenhouse or something. If you're going to do some growing, extend those growing seasons. But where you're at, I mean, you got a, you have a pretty long growing season anyway. So, you know, it's just a, it's an extra thing for your homestead. It's a, it's a benefit. It's, you know, it's kind of a luxury item. I mean, you know, in some sense, but uh, it's not an absolute necessity for sure. Yeah, I, I like that idea of the cattle panels. I definitely want to look at that. But yeah, we we just want to try different things. And and uh, in fact, just this uh, last month, I had a piece of heavy equipment in there trying to make more flat spots. Um, so uh, we have an area there that um, where my my main stream was kind of crowding and, and eroding a bank that was um, was a garden spot that we had one time. And so I was able to get that straightened back up and, and stop that erosion and get mm-hmm. the creek back against the hill. So. Uh, without disturbing that soil too badly. So uh, we're anxious uh, this next year to try to get something, whether it's going to be in that hoop house, if that's the location, or whether we just go back to a traditional planting. We've, you know, we have a lot of deer, white-tailed deer in our area, so they've, you know, they are, they've become a nuisance animal as far as yeah. uh, you know, wipe, wiping out gardens and things. So sure, yeah. again, we have help we have, with that for sure, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that would be helpful, or, or have to do the, the concentration uh, can mm-hmm, yeah. around it again like we've had, so. I like your idea of running the chickens through there, though. I mean, that would really help fertilize that ground a little bit in there and, and get, you know, they'll do a lot of the work for you and get that uh, garden ready for sure. Yeah, I've seen, um, and again, it's kind of a mixture of Salatin, and I don't know if you've seen um, John Siskovich. He, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, he had a, a Farm Marketing Solutions, I believe is the name of his, yep. his gig. And, and he, um, it's kind of a mixture of what Salatin talks about and, and what he's done because he, 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 put some of his egg layers in a, in a hoop house, but if Salatin with his pigs, when he brings them in the wintertime, um, I can't remember the time of year, maybe it's yeah, spring when he's bringing them in, he's got that uh, deep mulch in his barn that he's actually put corn down before he brings in all this deep mulch so the pigs root it all out, it's mm-hmm. fermented, and they get all hopped up on it. But um, thinking maybe the same thing with the chickens. As you put this mulch down, yeah, they're obviously going to get in there and scratch. They're going to uh, you know, drop their manure on there. They're going to scratch in there and and throughout the course of the winter, they, they should be able to churn that pretty good. So as you yeah. get some of that mulch decay, 
then be able to come back and plant or rake all your mulch to one corner that hasn't broken down. I just have to mm-hmm. see and make sure it's not too hot. But yeah, just just learning. Yeah, it's just one of those things. We've we've really been excited with uh, water catchment as well. You know, mm-hmm. gravity. Gravity is our friend um, in West Virginia. So. I've got uh, I'm really blessed with a lot of springs on the property. Like we've got one spring, it, it's crazy, and um, like I, I'll probably do a video of it here shortly because we're just amazed at it. This time of year is is really dry for us usually, and and this year's been even drier. And uh, I've got this little clearing. It was an old um, it was an old oil well site. You know, West West Virginia was is big in oil and natural gas. Uh, but it was an old oil site, so basically just means they came in and they cut a cut a cut their own bench out. So there's a little flat flat area up there, and it's about 80 feet higher in elevation than the main stream that comes through the base of the valley. Mm-hmm. Well, the main stream's dry. You know, if you if you went in there and dug down about three or four feet, you, you start to get in some you know some water and some areas there in the main stream. But if you go up to that what I call the meadow, uh, the, that little spot there. The pigs, you know, they're they're little water magnets. They can find water. They have made a wallow. It looks like a grave. They have wallowed out a spot, and it is completely full of water. <laughs> and it, it's probably two feet deep, and two feet by probably two feet wide and, and six feet long. And they just keep making it bigger and bigger. And it's 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 water's just coming out of the hillside. And and, and to be that high above the the actual watershed. Uh, it just amazes me. So, so we're looking at those things, you know, tapping mm-hmm. into those sources, and and using gravity to uh, to bring that water down the hill and have water pressure down to the barn and down to the garden area and, and down even down to the chicken area because all those are at the lowest elevation on the property right now. Mm-hmm. That's not like a pretty good idea. Yeah, I mean, yeah, water is the most precious resource on a homestead. That's for sure. It is, and again, we we've been blessed to, to have that stream. And again, what we lose in having a hundred usable acres we gain in in having a big funnel so uh, when we get rain if we get an inch of rain then uh, usually i've got a nice rolling creek and and my creek is is about an 11 month stream usually this year it it dried up it's it's going on its second month of being dry usually there's constant water going through there and and even in the winter time when we have you know sub-zero temperatures if we haven't had them for they usually don't last in West Virginia. They usually don't last more than a, maybe right. five days. Sometimes we'll get uh, you know, an extended week or something. But that's the beauty. You, know, you get a 600-pound hog, and she just walks over here to you know, three inches of ice. She's going to fix that problem real quick. So she'll <laughs> she'll bust through the ice and get the water. So I, I rarely have to carry water for uh, for the hogs. They they can take care of that themselves. And and then the chickens in the wintertime, of course, have to do the um, uh, water inside their coop and, and keep it heated so it doesn't freeze. But uh, yeah, it's 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 been a blessing having having that that stream that comes through the middle of the farm and, and we can utilize it and it's pretty good elevation change from the back. So we've even looked. I really like Salton's model of you know, he goes way back on his place and has this huge um, uh, impoundment of water that he then runs pipe down and if I recall it's like you know, one and a one point eight miles of pipe or something something crazy like that, but. He gets, I think he gets 80 pounds uh, per square inch by the time he gets down to his barn. Hmm. So, yeah, blow the heads off his false. Yeah, watch no it. kidding. <laughs> yeah, wow. Yeah, that's that's pretty interesting. Yeah, I haven't uh, – I've seen a lot of uh, South and stuff, but I haven't yeah, I haven't looked at all of it real thoroughly. But, yeah, that sounds like that's a pretty neat thing he's got going on there. Of course, he's he experiments with everything, and he just uh, – I don't think there's anything left untouched, you know, any area where he doesn't dig in and try to – come up with the best possible way it can operate you know that's just kind of his way and it's a good homestead way too i think most homesteaders are like that we we try things and fail at things and then try something different until we get the thing that works and we stick with it 
Yeah, you know, and that's that's a really good point here because that's that's exactly right. I, I love the resourcefulness of a homesteader, and, and I saw, in fact, I think it was on on the, your your group that you started that mm-hmm. a guy posted the other day. He's like, um, any preppers out here? And 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 one of the person responded the kind of same thing I thought. I was like, well, homesteader pretty much is a prepper. You yeah. you may not be you may not be you know, crazy militia type living in a bunker underground, but you are. You are stocking stuff up. You know, yeah, you know, yeah. How to, you know how to can. You know how to do this. You're putting food away, or at least you're concerned about. Uh, hey, if I don't stop by the grocery store today, or if the grocery store lost power, what would I do for the next couple of days? Yeah. You know, and we had an interesting situation here in West Virginia. Um, it's been two years now. We had a um, we central West Virginia is, is known as Chemical Valley. Back in the heyday of West Virginia, we had a lot of chemical plants. Mm-hmm. We we had this. Um, um, one place uh, just above our capital city of Charleston, which Charleston's about 50,000 50, people uh, in, its, in its city limits, but there's the metro areas. It's much, much bigger than that. But we had these huge storage tanks that this chemical company owned that uh, were full of, um, uh, I can't even remember, it was MCH, something like that, or MCHM, yeah, I remember MCM. something about this, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So those things uh, developed a slow leak. Nobody caught them, so it's dumping all of this. And it was a, it's a very toxic chemical they used from the scrubbing process of coal. And so that gets introduced into our water system. Well, mm-hmm. the intake uh, for this, not only the city, but for most of the county and even surrounding counties is um, is right there below those tanks. So it was unfortunate. But so there's you know, several hundred thousand gallons of this highly toxic chemical get into our water system. And people don't notice it until they actually see it coming out of their faucets. Like, yeah. Hey, it had this crazy licorice smell. So, yeah, it's, it's just it's just blowing everybody's minds. And and. We were fortunately where we live. You know, we have a well, so I'm completely off that system. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't have city water, so we had family and friends that that had to come out and and shower and do laundry and those type of things because it was it's two or three weeks before we had uh, for people could have you know, potable water again. Yeah, and, and it just uh, even makes you wonder <laughs> when they say yeah. it's safe if it really is or not, right? Oh yeah, my my uh, my father-in-law, he's he's got some health problems and he. He, he still won't drink it out of the tap. It's yeah. been two years because you just don't know. And you see, again, it's, it's supposed to be some sort of really strong detergent, some sort of cleaning agent. And and unfortunately, what it did is it cleaned out the uh, water pipes of, of um, you know, the municipalities and stuff. So you imagine just the, the kind of a mm. natural funk that's built up in these water lines, and oh, it flushed yeah. all that out. So so people were opening their dishwashers, and they had this black sludge in their dishwashers and their mm. sinks and, and, all, and the shower heads. So it was just... It was nasty. I mean, it was everything um, you know a, a, a Hollywood movie could could imagine. It, it it kind of felt like a little bit of an apocalypse for us around here because people were freaking out, and and it was it was a wake up call. And, and unfortunately, it, you know, you can't rely on legislation and government to do much. So they've tried to to correct that. But I, I think you know if there's a silver lining to any cloud, it was a lot of people have realized, hey, you know, I, I can't I can't always rely on the fact that I can come into this kitchen and turn this little knob on this sink and i'm going to get water you know life giving <laughs> life giving mm-hmm. water out of this I, I may need to have a backup plan so yeah. it's it's forced people to look at having wells doing uh, rain catchment um, or even just you know going out and buying 10 gallons of water and keeping it in a basement or sure. something so yeah. it's one of those things that like you say it's just just getting people's top of mind and really you know, getting them to think about it yeah, and you hate for those things to happen, but it seems like every time it does happen, something like that happens, it does wake a few people up. And it's just too bad that it takes something like that to, to bring people to that point. But 
you know, I'm, I'm no different. I mean, I've had tragedies in my life that it's what it took to wake, wake me up at times, you know, to, to things. And, and, uh, yeah, that's what it takes sometimes. Unfortunately, we're a, uh, the human is a stubborn animal <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> that's for sure. Yeah. We had a, we had, and this made the news as well, but it was, I think it was maybe four or five years ago. We had, uh, I'd never heard of the term derecho until it hit us, but we had one of those fast moving storms that came from your neck of the woods actually mm, yeah. <laughs> it, it just one of those crazy uh fast moving line storms that came through and it actually came through july 4th weekend so i remember we had we just finished picking blueberries at a at a farm and so the whole point of that storm it just comes through it blows through literally in 15 minutes but it knocked down trees we you know, had really high winds something that you know west virginia's not used to mm-hmm. knocked down trees and knocked out power to they're probably we're 1.8 million people in, in the entire state of West Virginia. I think, I think there were 300 or 400,000 people in West Virginia without power. That's how devastating it was. Mm-hmm. And we live so rural where we are. I only have the only utility I have is electricity, and my phone. If if it rains, I couldn't talk to you on my phone. That's actually why I'm, I'm talking to you on my cell phone because I had to drive out. I'm sitting up at the post office on top of the ridge where I get cell service. I'm <laughs> five miles from my farm right now. But, right? <laughs> so yeah, yeah, we live so rural that you know, we're, we're obviously not going to be the first at the top of the list when 400,000 people ha- don't have power. We're not going to be at the top of the list. So we went 18 days without power. Mm. And and that's a wake-up call for a lot of people. And we had a generator at the time. And, and of course, in the middle of July, that was kind of a funny thing. I I was expecting, you know, normally power goes out around here in the winter. So, mm-hmm. okay, I've got firewood. I, I can heat the place. I've, I've got a way to run the blowers on my wood burner. You know, if power goes out in the wintertime, I'm set. Well, power went out in the summertime, and it was 90 degrees the next day. And, yeah. And uh, so I'm running my generators to keep my freezers going and that type of thing. But that was a wake-up call for me. I was like, man, I'm I'm not as prepared as, as I thought I would be. Sure. And we yeah. had to run, run, on, run on gas stations. We had to drive 30 miles to, to find a gas station that had gas because nobody had power. Yeah, you know, you're you're absolutely right. I mean, uh, we can – I see a lot of uh, – I think I posted something in the group the other day about – or maybe it was yesterday, I think, about, you know, you see all these, these clickbait prepper sites out there that are just trying to cause us fear and scare everybody. And, and – I got I have mixed feelings about that, you know, because one side of me says, well, you know, at least they're waking some people up. But a lot of times they're doing it with exaggerations and lies. And but there's right. an, there's enough reality in this world. There's enough, you know, real uh, problems that we don't have to exaggerate over that can absolutely we need to prepare for, you know, and things we need to to be ready for. And 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 that takes some time. It takes some preparation. And, you know, it, and you got to think ahead. You got to look at uh, possible scenarios and and just kind of set yourself up for those things because they're a reality. A lot of times, many of those things are. Yeah, and I agree. I agree. I, I think you know, to live a life of fear. Yeah, you know, we we weren't created to live in fear, but. I think all of us need a good lesson in accountability. We're mm-hmm. accountable for ourselves, we're accountable for our family, and we're accountable for our property. So if we say, uh, okay, we're going to rely on uh, a grocery store and, and a gas station and a convenience store to provide all of our basic needs uh, every day and not even give it a second thought, okay, yeah, we have that ability. We have that freedom in this country to do that. But we do need to have a level of accountability to say, okay, what if those things uh, – aren't there or what if they're just not there for a little bit of time are you going to be prepared and again you know we should be neighborly we should help people out that maybe have planned that way and and, and do those type of things but uh yeah i, I think there's there's a nice balance between there i'm not going to mm-hmm. live in fear i'm not going to i'm not going to sit there and, and close my gate and and 
you know, has my AR over the over the top <laughs> of the, the fence waiting to shoot the next guy that comes in because I'm afraid I'm going to get ripped off. Right. But I think we need to to be prepared to have uh, to have even just three days source of food in, yeah. in the house. Yeah. And yeah, you talk about the prepper thing. My, my wife and I talk about that back and forth. And one thing we like to do is just if if we've got stuff, obviously for canning, we're, we're canning stuff that we either try to grow in our garden or get from friends, and we can that. You know, you've got a mm-hmm. you've got a cellar or a closet full of canned goods, and, and you could be set for a long time. Sure. Uh, but even even buying in bulk, you know, if you go to one of those uh, big box stores like we go, and we'll buy, I'll buy easily a hundred pounds of rice and a hundred pounds of beans. Mm-hmm. And instead of just sticking those in and then saying, okay, 20 years from now, if we need them, are they still going to be good? We She folds that into our diet. So she'll sure. go back, and, and when we get down to 50 pounds of each, then I'll go buy another 100 pounds. So mm-hmm. at no time should I have less than 50 pounds of each of those staples. So yeah. rice and beans, yeah, not something you want to live off of, but yeah, if you had to, you could. So Absolutely you know, better like than nothing. That, yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Little things like that that just, just make sense. I mean, you're still sure. going to eat it, but... Yeah, the kids don't mind it too much, you know, as long as you dress it up a little bit. <laughs> right, right, right. Well, speaking of uh, kids and family, I mean, that, I was reading your site earlier, and, I mean, you got a big focus on that. I was reading in your homestead section. I mean, a lot of what you're saying, why we do this, what our goals are, I mean, it's really built around family and your uh, kind of like your uh, your goals for, for why you're doing what you're doing. Yeah, yeah. Um faith means a lot to our family. We mm-hmm. we, we, we really, we really uh, rely on our faith. And, you know, it, it's funny that you know, some people think, okay, if you're a guy of faith, you, you don't do this, you do that. You know, people want to get put people into boxes, but mm-hmm. I feel that you know, I'm blessed to have what I have. I, I've been given what I have through uh, you know, by being blessed to have this property, to have the ability to, to afford this property and do the things on it. And, and, and God's given me a, a mind to, to try to figure stuff out and, and you know, make, make bad mistakes, but also make uh, some successes there. But... You know, we really need to be good stewards of what we have. If if I'm given a hundred acres to to do this stuff on, then I need you know when I bought the place it was trashed. I, hopefully, if I pass it on to my kids or if I end up selling it, my kids don't have anything to do with it, and I retire at some point. Hopefully, somebody can look and say, okay, Troy started with this and he ended with that, so he was a good steward of this property. He turned it into something more than it was. So I've left a positive impact on my environment in my area. And to me, I think that's what environmentalism is about. Sure. It's not being a, you know, a crazy nut job either way. It's just simply, hey, take care of what you got. If you see garbage on the ground on your place, pick it up and and just try to make it a better place. And and that's what we try to do. And and that's that's kind of the core. And, and I have two boys. I have a 14-year-old, and, and one will be 11 next week. So um, I want to instill in them that responsibility, the personal accountability, but also want them to I – mean, how many kids now get to learn um, – uh, you know, farm things. I mean, stuff mm-hmm. that, that, that your mom and dad, I mean, my mom and dad, our grandparents, you know, it was all common knowledge. You sure. know, our kids, our kids don't, don't have to deal with that. And I know you've, you've got a new uh, grandbaby on the way and mm-hmm. you know, that uh, congratulations there, but that's one of those Thank things you. that, you know, that's going to be awesome that you, know, you said something about uh, this will be the first because you had three girls, right? Yeah, three daughters and be a grandson on the way. So, yeah. 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 So, so how awesome would it be for grandpa to take, uh, take, take your son out and, and you know, show them the land, hunt, do those type mm-hmm. of things. And, and there's just a lot of kids, I think, uh, this you know, this generation, my, uh, my kids' generation, is just missing out on that oh, stuff. I so agree. I, love the, I love the fact that I've got the opportunity to do that. And we even have we have friends from church that will uh, send their kids out and say, hey, can, can we, this summer when the kids are out of school, can the kids come out and spend a couple of days? And, and we do that. We, we think it's great to, mm-hmm. to give people the opportunity to come out. Because, yeah, again, a lot of people just don't know. They don't right. know the experience and, 
and you, you want to give them the opportunity to enjoy it. That's awesome. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, building up a sense of community and and uh, passing on those uh, you know, just yeah, it's more than just skills too. It's it's just a whole um, mindset that you're passing on. Yeah, yeah, I agree. It just it just you know, take care of stuff, be accountable, mm-hmm. um, and and I always tell my boys that we we homeschool our kids because again we're we're very rural, mm-hmm. so we obviously have we have firsthand um, uh, encounters with their education. So we always impress upon them and say, you know, you're learning this stuff to improve who you are, to be a better citizen, to be a better person is what God calls you to be. But the neat thing is you'd never stop learning. If mm-hmm. I told him, I said, I'm 43 years old, and the day I quit learning, hopefully, is the day they're shoveling dirt on top of it. Because <laughs> you're always going to be learning from stuff. And, and I encourage my boys, like, man, you, you, you're not going to always get it from a book. You're going to get it out there getting your hands dirty, or you're going to get it out there, you know, somebody else showing you how to do it. So you try to be a sponge, try to soak up all that stuff. And, and I think, man, if, if a lot of us thought that way, if a lot of, of kids and you know, our generation and the generation behind us would just say, hey, I want to get my hands dirty and learn something, yeah. I, I think we could see a lot of a lot of neat things happen. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, well, you've heard me say probably before on another podcast or even in our group before, you know, just want to make this world a better place. And if everybody just does a little bit, you know, if everybody just does a little bit or if we try to pass it on and, and, and convince other people to do just a little bit, I mean, it, that's the only way the world gets better. I mean, you can do – these things, I can do these things, but we need to convince our neighbors to do these things, you know, and just to try to leave the world in a better uh, place than we found it, in a better way than we found it. And, and if we get enough people doing that, you know, I'm a hopeful guy, you know. I I, I look at the world and a lot of people see uh, doom and gloom and a, a horrible future, and I say, it don't have to be that way, you know. It can be better. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and I think you're right. You, you hit the nail on the head. We really influence we always call it a sphere of influence. In marketing, you have that. But each one of us, each person out there has a sphere of influence, mm-hmm. whether it's your kids, your family, your friends, the people you go to work with, people you go to church with, whatever. You have a sphere of influence, and people look to you, and, and they make certain judgments by their interaction with you. But if you can say, hey, this is what I do, and here's why I do it, then then maybe you can influence people in the right way. And and we've had, um, we've had a lot of people um, – Ask us about chickens. Again, I always joke it's kind of a gateway drug, a uh, gateway farm animal to, <laughs> right. to a, a life of farm addiction. Um, but in, in, our, in our capital city, our town, where we, where we, we go to church and I, I do work, um, you know, we have people in urban and suburban areas that uh, laws have been passed now that people can own up to six chickens as long as they're mm-hmm. not roosters. And their neighbors obviously have to be okay with it. So we've had a lot of friends say, hey, Troy, yeah, yeah, I know you have a, a boatload of chickens. Uh, how do I get started? And so I had that question so much. I want to start writing you know, writing a blog series about that. So I started writing it down, but just, just simply saying, hey, here, here's my experience. This, this doesn't mean it's you know, the gospel when it comes to raising chickens. This is right. just my experience. Here's what I've learned. Uh, but it's really neat to see people say, yeah, I'm doing that. And, and this one lady, she's got three chickens in her in her backyard, and she's really enjoying it. Her kids are loving the fact that chickens just started laying eggs. And, and she sent me an email and said, Troy, the chickens laid the first egg, and the boys are so excited. It's like Christmas around here. So, and that, it, to me, is really cool to see that. Exciting, I, I just love yeah. to hear those stories. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, it sounds like you're doing your part to for your family to be more self-sufficient. And it sounds like you're definitely uh, doing your part to pass on that 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 knowledge and uh, that love of the lifestyle as well. So I'm, I'm, I love what you're doing there, man. I love it. Uh, you're making a difference. Uh, I appreciate it. Yeah. I appreciate what you're doing. I, I love the fact you're getting the word out with the podcast and I hope it continues to grow. And, and it's just good to get people together talking about this stuff. Cause sure. we definitely, yeah. Uh, yeah, we use it. 
we use the term in, in faith that iron sharpens iron, and, and that's the way it works, that we all learn from one another and we all get better for it. So. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, hey, I'm going to let you go here in a minute, but uh, yeah, last couple things. Do uh, you have any advice for just people getting started, maybe uh, just looking into this lifestyle? I mean, obviously you do because you're, you're talking to people in town about raising chickens, <laughs> but uh, what would you tell people who just want to get started? Well, I, yeah, I would say just yeah, because you see people all all over the place. You know, not everybody's mm-hmm. going to have a hundred acres. You know, there's some people that have a thousand acres. It's like, okay, where do I begin? I got a thousand acres. You can start anywhere. But, um, but yeah, if if you're in town and just, just kind of figure out what you want. Uh, you know, my wife and I looked at it. You, know, you can't just go in your cupboard and throw everything out. And say, okay, I want to eat cleaner, so I'm going to throw all this stuff out. Mm-hmm. I'm never eating this again. You know, and you can't go over there and cut the power line to your house. And say, okay, I'm going to live off the grid. Until you, you until you figure out a place to start, you, you got to right. always using the odds. You got to crawl before you run. Yeah. So just maybe pick something you find of interest. If you like animals, then maybe start with chickens. That's an easy place to start. Uh, may drive you nuts, but it's an easy place to start. <laughs> um, but yeah, or if you if you can raise stuff, if, if even if you just got a balcony, you get a get a raised bed, get some plants and and pot some things, and then like you had talked about, even going to the point say, okay, you raise some stuff. And now what are you going to do? You're going to freeze it. You're going to blanch it and put it in the freezer. You're going to can it. Do that. Mm-hmm. We even have a friend that you know, doesn't necessarily raise a garden. She goes down to the farmer's market you know, this time of year, maybe you know, maybe a couple of weeks ago, goes down to the farmer's market usually, and, and there's a lot of produce that people yep. are just trying to sell to get rid of. And man, yep. she comes home with a truckload of stuff and just cans it all up, and, and she's like, man, I, I love this. I can get it much cheaper than buying it at the store. I know it's cleaner stuff. And I didn't have to raise it myself. So, yeah. you know, there's all kinds of things you can do and just, just take those baby steps. Say, okay, this time I, I bought all these vegetables and canned them. Next year I'm going to try to raise. We really like cucumbers. I'm going to raise cucumbers. We like tomatoes. Let's try tomatoes. So, yeah, I, I think there's just just pick something and go with it and just just ask questions. Again, you know, with, with great resources like you have, you can just go out on the Internet. You can find this stuff. You can YouTube video things. Just There's all kinds of resources out there. So oh, just, yeah. You know, don't be afraid of failing, and don't be afraid of getting your hands dirty. That's some good advice. Yeah, I believe I believe you're dead on with that. One one new thing at a time, and just take on find the things you want to do, and take them on, and uh, head down that path. And uh, I, I see a lot of people who try to take on way too much, and and that's a, that's something you got to watch out for. You don't want to take on too much because it can uh, burn you out and wear you down pretty quick. But uh, yeah. yeah, good advice. Um, well, how, how can people uh, find you online and find out more about you, your uh, homestead, and what you're doing, and see your videos and all that? Yeah, well, I appreciate it. Yeah, um, redtoolhouse.com is is our website, and that's that's our blog, and of course that has uh, links to our videos that are mm-hmm. housed on YouTube. Uh, we have an email newsletter we send out that uh, gives people updates about what's going on. So it's it's updates not only for our local customers, but what else we have going on: blog updates, uh, video updates. Um, so that's kind of the that's the hub of the wagon wheel. We're also on Facebook, uh, facebook.com forward slash Red Toolhouse. Uh, if people want to go there, they can yeah. give us a like and, and kind of follow what's going on there. And then, of course, YouTube. Um, we've um, we, we really wanted to have an effort in, in trying to document this stuff because we want to be able to go back and look and say, hey, this is what we did, you know, mm-hmm. the boys. But then also we've learned so many things by just making mistakes. So I thought, man, if I just put this on video and say, hey, if I could keep you know, 10 people from making this mistake when yeah. it comes to artificially inseminating a pig, then, then maybe I'm helping somebody get further ahead than I did quicker. So we decided to do that. So we have, um, if you go to YouTube, you can you can look for Red Toolhouse Farm. Um, I think it's actually our, our official name is Red Toolhouse Lumber Company and Farm. That's because you know, we have the sawmill into that. That's mm-hmm. why we always had the lumber, lumber company in there. But, uh, yeah, Red Toolhouse Farm uh, on YouTube. 
And yeah, we, we'd love to have uh, more people following us if, if they so feel inclined to, to subscribe and, and follow us. It, it kind of gives us a, uh, you know, like you say, when you see your downloads, it kind of it kind of recharges your battery. So yeah, sure. okay, people are watching this. There is some interest in that. So yeah, we'd love yeah. to love to see some some increase in traffic there. But yeah, we're just if if two people watch it, fine. If two thousand people watch it, or two hundred thousand people, fine. Uh, we we just like the fact that we can document it and and then hopefully somebody can learn learn something from it that from what we've learned. Well, I'll tell you what, you do a pretty good job with them. I watched a couple of them earlier today, and uh, I was surprised at the audio. You must have a, a cordless mic or something you're using because it sounded pretty good. You looked like you were quite a ways from the camera, and it still sounded real good. Yeah, yeah. We um, I, again, this is where you know, your day job rubs against the the, uh, the homesteading stuff, and it helps you out. So we do video production at work. Okay. And, and so, yeah, I, uh, yeah, I, I get the, the benefit of taking some of the equipment home with me. So, yeah, oh, that was good. a wireless. Yeah. I use a wireless lav mic, and then that comes in handy. And that's yeah. the beauty of being out in the middle of the sticks. I can get, I can get almost a hundred yards of, uh, of reception on that lav mic because I just don't have any radio interference. That way, everything. Yeah, I thought it sounded pretty good. I kept looking for the mic, yeah. and I was like, he's got to have a mic on because he's quite away from that camera, and it sounds like he's right in front of it. So, yeah, that's good stuff. Yeah, I'll, I'll, uh, re- I definitely recommend people go check out your videos and uh, head over to your website and take a look at things. You got some really good stuff there, and uh, I appreciate what you're doing, Troy, and uh, I appreciate you coming on the podcast today. I appreciate it, Harold. Appreciate all you do, and take care, man. Oh, you too. We'll catch you later. Bye. Well, that was a great conversation with Troy. Uh, he's got a lot going on. You know, not everybody has a hundred acres, but when you got it, uh, you can do some great things with it. And Troy's doing it, and uh, I'm really glad he came on the podcast today. I definitely recommend you go over to his uh, website, RedToolHouse.com. He's got some good stuff going on there, and most definitely go subscribe to his YouTube channel. Uh, since we recorded this, he's already put out a couple more videos. So he's going to, I think he's going to be doing a lot more videos and, uh, definitely uh, need to subscribe to that. Check out what he's doing there. And who, who else thinks that Troy's just got a great voice for a podcast? (laughs) I think Troy should have his own podcast and, uh, I definitely would listen to it. So hint, hint, Troy. Oh, also I wanted to mention the, uh, when I was telling Troy about the, uh, hoop house you could make out of cattle panels i'll put a link to a video a youtube video on that uh i think it's a really cool idea now in the youtube video he makes it a little short like i i'm thinking that if i was building that i would probably uh make the sides a little taller and then attach the um attach the cattle panels to the uh, boards you know if i made the sides just a little bit taller he i think he attaches them just two by sixes in the video and i would maybe build that up a little bit maybe make some like two or three foot walls and then attach the cattle panels and i think it would work uh, even better make it a little bit taller in the middle but even what he does there it's a really solid uh hoop house and it's uh inexpensive and well done so uh, yeah i'll put the link to that video in the show notes as well so you can go check that out uh, just go to the show notes for this episode and uh, you'll you can find everything we talked about, all the links for things we talked about today in the show notes. So uh, anyway, go on over to uh, iTunes and give us a rating and review if you enjoy this podcast. Uh, we'd love to have you uh, do that and uh, give us some social proof there on iTunes that uh, you enjoy it and uh, help others make a decision on whether to listen to it or not. Also, you can head on over to our website, smalltownhomestead.com. And just see all the great articles we're writing in there. I haven't been writing as much lately because it's just been really busy. But there's a lot of good stuff to read there. So I hope you'll go check that out. And remember, you may not have 100 acres to homestead on. But uh, as you heard Troy say, he, most of what he's doing is on a lot less acreage. 
And, uh, you know, there's uh, there's an awful lot you can do no matter where you're at. So get started working towards self-sufficiency today, uh, preparedness, and uh, building freedom and liberty into your life. And until next time, happy homesteading and God bless. Thanks for listening. To see the show notes for this podcast or listen to other podcast episodes, go to smalltownhomestead.com. There you can also read our blog, connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Google+, and take advantage of the many resources we make available to help you along in your homesteading journey. Please share this podcast and help us to carry out our mission of helping others to homestead today for a better tomorrow.